Welcome back to the AP World History Podcast. Uh, we are now looking into the rise of communism and the Cold War here uh, by looking at Chapter 21 uh, in Strayer. And um, we're going to break this section into three parts, or this chapter into three parts. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, kind of the the uh, the basics of communism as well as where it gets spread to, kind of giving you a whole picture by the end of this time, uh, where we're looking at. Um, and then uh, we're going to talk about two revolutions um, uh, that uh, took place uh, that really laid the foundation for communism spreading throughout the rest of the world, those being Russia and China. Uh, so that's all going to be on this first podcast in this set. Uh, then uh, the second one's going to deal with... Uh, the building up of communism, how it takes over kind of a nation, what we see happening in these revolutionary states of Russia and China, and uh, how they set it up. And then we're going to look at the conflict between the East and the West, which is the Cold War, and we're going to see that uh, all the way through to the end. And so that'll be our third one, and we should be able to get through all those. Um, now, you might be hearing that uh, things sound a little bit different. We're experimenting with a new microphone, a uh, much better one than what we've been using in the past. So uh, hopefully uh, it sounds good and uh, makes my voice sound like slightly better than the actual voice that comes out of my mouth. Um, so we're going to try to dive into these here and, and get you a little bit of uh, new information here on, on communism and how it came about uh, to be a major player in the world. Um, so, starting off, communism is developed by uh, a couple people. Uh, Marx is given the most credit, Karl Marx, he's from Germany, and uh, he develops it in the middle of the Industrial Revolution, uh, or towards the end of the first wave of the Industrial Revolution in the uh, mid-1800s. Um, but he wasn't the only guy, there's another guy that he had as a partner, Frederick Engels. Uh, they kind of lay the or foundation for what communism and socialism are. Uh, and uh, these guys argued that uh, it's it's a radical change in society was needed that was going to give workers more say uh, and the uh, unfairness, the inequality that comes about with capitalism and create a society where everyone was equal, there was no more social classes and where uh, everyone was looked out for. And the way that these two men saw this happening was through a revolution. And it wasn't going to be a nice revolution. It's going to be a violent revolution to overthrow the de or the capitalistic system that had been exploiting people and all the previous systems that had exploited people and always put that uh, the workers as the lowest rung. And uh, what would come about after that is after this industrialized society revolted, the poor people would get rid of the re really wealthy people. They'd either die or get them to... Uh, give in to their demands, and then create a society where everyone was equal. Uh, now, that's a true communist society. Uh, a step towards that would be uh, the government taking over more industries and uh, setting up more laws for uh, protecting the workers and making sure they're living in, in good living conditions and working conditions and all that kind of stuff. So um, socialism and communism are kind of interchangeable, but uh, there's more of a modern take on it of um, or there's some nuances between them in that socialism doesn't go as far as communism actually goes in, in changing the economic, social, and political systems. Now, unfortunately for Marx, his uh, prediction that it was going to happen in a highly industrialized nation was wrong. Uh, that never happens. Uh, it only took place in agrarian societies. 
So we're going to see it happen in Russia, North Korea, China, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Eastern Europe, uh, and Cuba. And we're going to see it take place or take over in all these regions. And a lot of it's going to be because of the actions of the Russians, uh, who will eventually become the Soviet Union, and their use of um, the organization of the Comintern, or what they use to spread out information and really support fledgling communist nations. Uh, this is very similar as being kind of a, a counterweight to the capitalist democratic uh, ideals and aid that the United States and other Western nations gave uh, after World War II. Um, and I shouldn't say really other Western nation states because it was really just the U.S. But the support that um, later on that also nations got for uh, preventing or, or um, yeah, preventing communism from taking over. So eventually other states would step up, but early on it was really the U.S. fighting against it. And so the the countries that we see really kind of fighting against or being affected by it are the U.S. Uh, there are two Red Scares that happen, one after World War One, one after World War II, uh, and World War II will last through a, a huge chunk of the actual Cold War that happens between the United States and the Soviet Union. Uh, we see France, uh, Greece, and Italy all being affected by this as well, leading to political parties rising up to try to fight and prevent these things from happening. Uh, we also see it uh, threatening nations like Peru, Malaysia, Indonesia, the Philippines, Bolivia, and uh, you'll see the U.S. step up or allies of the United States and the West uh, step up and try to oust those people or prevent those people from taking over. Now, that kind of lays the the foundation um, for kind of setting the stage for taking over. You got an idea of all the nations that are going to adopt it, the ones that resist it, some of the basics of just what communism means. So let's dive into now how this uh, takes over. Uh, there are two main situations we're going to look at. We're going to look at Russia and China, and we'll start with Russia because that's the first one. And uh, both these are going to take place in revolutions. The uh, revolutions are going to be really similar to the French Revolution in that the whole goal is to set up a completely new society that uh, was not there before. They want to kind of break down and, and get rid of everything that was there before that was wrong and uh, set up a new society that's going to make things better where people are going to be more equal and um, it's live, they're going to live in better conditions and, and everything is going to be much better. You can think of it almost like it's going to be a utopia. Unfortunately, that stuff never happens truly uh, but let's dive into it so the Russian Revolution um, that begins in 1917 it's all a part of World War one so we got to go back to what we were just looking at last week in chapter 21 and remember okay World War one Russia's getting the snot beat out of it they've got a leader Tsar Nicholas II he's not doing that great um, he's leading the military and they're getting their wiped or mopped up by the Germans uh, it's just not looking good and so the people get sick of it his poor management was going on way before then and they protest and he abdicates uh, gives up the throne and uh, the people uh, set up a new government so this was in the February Revolution then there's later an October Revolution where the Bolsheviks take over and these are the communists uh, they're led by a guy named Vladimir Lenin and uh, they overthrow the government and uh, they really galvanized around the issues of uh, families not being able to feed themselves uh, the uh, soldiers being fed up with the war and how that was going the poor conditions in factories or the feudal system that was supposed to be abolished still being there so 
they uh, bring the peasants in and they, they really rally the peasants to rise up and set up this new system. And uh, the peasants really wanted to see this happen because they wanted to see the land distributed. They didn't want to be tied to that land anymore or whether or not they were truly tied to it or not, being stuck on that land because they couldn't get out of their situation. And um, so what happens is they uh, will successfully overthrow the government. Uh, there will be a civil war for a brief time where you'll have the Red Army, which is led by the Bolsheviks, take on a white army that is led by people that just don't want to see the Red Army and the Bolsheviks take over. Unfortunately, it's a lot of divided parties. Um, the allies from World War uh, One, uh, United States, Britain, France, will also aid the white army. This just galvanizes the Red Army more, and it'll lead to some um, distrust early on here between the two uh, or between the communists and the rest of the world. And so um, we see, unfortunately, for the democratic capitalist side, the communists win. Uh, Lenin becomes the leader of uh, Russia. Uh, Russia will be changed to the uh, Soviet Union or the um, United Soviet Socialist Republics because uh, it's going to be more than just Russia in there. They're going to bring in new territories um, and make them officially a part of this this new state. So you get things like uh, Lithuania, Estonia, Ukraine, uh, these different uh, regions in the area. A lot of the stands will become a part of this. Uh, a lot of Eastern Europe will become a part of this. And so um, they'll all be brought into the Soviet Union. And then you'll have uh, other regions that will be brought in later and become part of what is known as the Iron, well, become part of their influence. And uh, in Europe, it'll be kind of the Iron Curtain there that blocks um, them off from or separates the communist Eastern Europe from the Western uh, democratic capitalistic Europe. So uh, what do we want to talk about? The, the three-year civil war, the, the Soviets win or the Bolsheviks win. Uh, they, they really did this by, um, well, they wanted to try to, uh, once they, let, let me restart that. After they win the Civil War, uh, what they do is they completely change the structure of society. They want to reinvent the economy and build it around industrialization. So although they're not industrialized beforehand like Marx was hoping, they decide to industrialize and they invest a lot in it. And Lenin, unfortunately, isn't going to be around for very long in that, uh, but we'd see this happen during Stalin's reign. Uh, Stalin is famous for his industrialization uh, of uh, the Soviet Union, and he made it possible for the Soviets to be able to handle, um, uh, eventually handle the Germans and eventually push back against the Germans and defeat the Germans in World War II along with the uh, Western Allies. Uh, but they, they redo the economy and base it on industrialization instead of agriculture. They will seize grain, uh, especially in Ukraine. They seize a lot of grain to redistribute it around to the cities and into the industrialized areas. And this is going to cause a major problem. This is going to cause uh, a widespread famine in Ukraine. Uh, where millions will die from starvation. Um, they're going to suppress any rebellions from any groups that want to uh, petition or go against what the communists are doing or the communist ideas. Uh, they're going to commit many atrocities. Many innocent people are going to be thrown into gulags or be executed. Uh, the Again, the example of Ukraine is uh, not only are people starved, but they're attacked and killed by the uh, Soviet government or Soviet officials. And even though they're supposed to protect the poor citizens, they're the ones that maybe get 
sometimes the worst deal out of this, especially in Ukraine. But that's not actually uncommon throughout the West, the, the West, the rest of the Soviet Union. So, um, the goal then, uh, after they do all this, is to create a new modernized Russia or Soviet Union that can protect itself, fend itself from invaders, which there has been a history of. And um, they, they eventually successfully do this in World War II. Uh, their victories in World War II and the um, spoils they'll get have taken over Eastern Europe will allow them to become a major uh, superpower and then rival the United States and be a counter to the capitalism and, and democracy that the United States is pushing as a message throughout the world. So that's, that's the Soviet Union in a nutshell and uh, the Russian Revolution. Uh, a few years later, uh, we have the Chinese uh, Revolution. Now, uh, we got to see this Chinese Revolution will finally succeed in 1949, uh, but it had been about 30 years coming or, or building off of 30 plus years uh, of revolution. Uh, in 1911, uh, the Chinese overthrow the Qing Dynasty, which is the last dynasty of China, uh, the last em uh, imperial system, and uh, they overthrow it, set up a republic, and Sun Yat-sen becomes the uh, leader of that republic. He unfortunately dies early on. Uh, he had forged kind of alliance or uh, had tried to fold some of the communists into the government. And so they were they were part of that revolution that happened in, in some small ways, uh, but they they weren't a huge part of it as as the rest of the nationalists were were the ones that kind of really made that happen. But uh, in 1921, uh, the Communist Party. Um, so let me go back, scratch a few of those things that I just said, and that the communists were were there from the beginning of this. They're not there from the beginning of the Chinese Revolution. Are there people that are there that will eventually lead to new ideas of what we can do with government? Yes. So. I apologize for that mess up there. But um, 1921, the Communist Party is officially established, and they're folded in, or, or Sun Yat-sen tries to bring them in some. Um, he likes and, and agrees with some of their ideas. But again, Sun Yat-sen will die um, fairly early on into this republic, and his successor will be a guy named Chiang, Chiang Kai-shek, who's got some issues with corruption, is a somewhat weak leader, and doesn't have that same idea of bringing people in. He doesn't like the communist ideas. He persecutes them, and he puts them on the ropes, uh, and is constantly kind of fighting against them, um, which will open the door for a strong leader to come and galvanize or bring together that communist party, and that will be Mao Zedong. And so... Um, He'll persecute, Chiang Kai-shek will persecute them and Mao Zedong and those guys uh, and the communists until uh, World War II begins there and the Japanese just run over the Chinese. Uh, they take over Manchuria without much of a problem. Then they push down into um, the rest of China or mainland China, central China, around Beijing and whatnot. Um, in the uh, 1936, late 1930s, I believe, um, and so the nationalist government is very weak and Chiang Kai-shek can't do much. The communists do a lot to actually help defend China and, and prevent that, um, prevent them from being fully taken over by the Japanese. And so they, they gain a lot of friends and allies with the common people. And Mao Zedong really builds that relationship. And after the war, he continues to build that relationship after Chiang Kai-shek continues to try to persecute the communists. 
and eventually uh, he will get all the peasants, or maybe not all the peasants, but a huge proportion of the peasants to rally around his cause and the communist cause with his call for ending the um, the abuses of landlords, uh, pushing towards a government policy that focuses more on the people in the countryside and the rural areas and focusing on agriculture than on the cities, which is what the nationalists focused on, and focusing on, again, the peasants instead of the rich people, which is what the nationalists eventually go to. And so these ideas uh, will eventually lead to him winning. They will defeat the uh, Nationalist Party, uh, which I don't think I've ever told you the name of that party. was the Kuomintang. Um, they uh, will beat them. Uh, the Nationalists will flee to Taiwan and set up a new China there. Uh, China, China. Uh, the China led by Mao Zedong says that's a rebel state. It's not a different country. That leads to some modern crises that we have today. Uh, with Taiwan and whether it's a country or not and you have some nations that see it that way the US is kind of in a weird place we don't recognize it as a country but we also say we'll defend them if the Chinese come and try to take them over so kind of a weird spot there but um, that all stems from the 1949 uh, end of the end of the Civil War in the 19 in 1949 so um, Mao then develops the countryside he has a couple programs the Great Leap Forward is the big one uh, there's also the Iron Rice Bowl, or the Iron Bowl, um, and the Great Leap Forward was about getting uh, uh, smelting steel and iron, or smelting iron into steel out in the countryside. This doesn't work out too well. It takes farmers away from working in the fields, so there's less food. That leads to a lot of people starving, um, and then the Iron Rice Bowl was to guarantee workers, um, or every Chinese person, a job, and uh, so that was one of the goals, and this is how he convinced the peasants to, to be on his side. Unfortunately, the things don't really work out that well. The one thing that does work out well, and that they really change culturally in China, uh, I mean, everything changes kind of culturally, but the big thing that changes, and that's a good thing that we can say, um, is the practice of foot binding and the place of women as a lower or much lower member of society changes. Uh, this is something we also see in Russia. Uh, women get lifted up a little bit, but also it doesn't change 100%. Uh, or it doesn't do a 360 and there's equal uh, sharing of responsibilities and families and stuff like that in either of these cases. Um, so women will be brought up and patriarchy will be lessened, but that patriarchy doesn't fully disappear. And um, so there are some instances where we can see this in China specifically of the idea that uh, you cannot divorce your husband if he's a soldier or um, the... Um, the property uh, that you might own or that you want to own has to be owned or controlled by a male heir. Uh, those are things that are, are continued early on. Uh, but uh, those are slowly changing. We can see that China changing a lot. And uh, the reason why China is changing a lot is because these were a lot of things that Mao Zedong pushed. Um, he pushed things like the uh, Great Leap Forward. He pushed programs like the Cultural Revolution that uh, attacked anyone that spoke out against what China uh, was doing at the time um, and the Communist Party. And so after Mao Zedong dies, you have some people looking at what's happening in China within the Communist Party and going, this, this isn't good. We need to change things because communism isn't working here. And so you see uh, a guy named Xi Jinping uh, take over. And uh, he starts to push towards a capitalist view of things. And we see China today 
where they're at uh, is a lot more capitalist than they are communist. There are still aspects of their command economy there, um, dictating what can be made and when it can be made and how much should be made of things. Uh, but we also see them tinkering with capitalism to an extent, which has allowed their huge growth over the last uh, few decades. So um, those are a couple of the basic things. Uh, maybe some other things I want to bring up quickly with, with both of these uh, communist states is uh, both new governments will try to uh, push out some of the old traditions, especially religions. Uh, communism doesn't especially like religion. Uh, they push more for atheistic, agnostic type ideas. So you'll see Confucianism get pushed down, Taoism get pushed down, and you'll see, uh, and that's in China, and then in Russia, you'll see the Eastern Orthodox Church be pushed down and, and people be persecuted. You'll see a lot of persecution of the Jews. Um, so uh, it's it's not perfect. It's not everyone equal. It's not that you can practice what you want. You are kind of dictated to do what the state asks you to do, and if you don't, then there could be some issues. And that's uh, it in a nutshell. 